Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Our guest today is uh, Emma Kirk. She's a student, an environmental activist, and she was recently on a panel, a discussion salon that we sponsored called A Leading Transformation from Pandemic to Regenerative. And she's been involved in conservation for quite some time in environmental activism in Canada, and she hails from Ottawa. So welcome to the show, Emma. Thanks for having me, Mark. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, listen, I want to start by asking a pretty simple question. What led you, how did you get involved in conservation work Anyways, you grew up in Ottawa, so you grew up in the city. I mean, how does that work? Uh, yeah, so I've always loved, loved being outside, and my family, we're lucky enough to have a cottage up near Algonquin Park, and I've always really loved being outdoors. And, and when I was 13, I did a science project, and I won a few prizes at the Regional Science Fair, one from Field Naturalism Club in Ottawa. They eventually offered me a scholarship to go to a provincial youth summit on conservation work hosted by Ontario Nature. And basically from there, I, I was interested, I was passionate, and I took hold of any opportunity they offered, one of which was to join a provincial youth council. I joined that council, and I've just kept going ever since. Well, you, you have to tell us, what was the project about? I mean, you can't leave us in suspense here. Oh, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't too too sophisticated. I built a mini wind tunnel, and I was looking at the crown shape of trees, so like the trunk, and then there's the crown of trees. I'm looking at which crown shapes were most aerodynamic and looking, especially with climate change, as we um, go through more storms, what kind of trees should we be planting and how should the crown size of and shape of a tree affect what trees we decide to plant. Oh my God, you were 13 when you did that? That's pretty sophisticated if you ask me. The, the models were not very sophisticated, I can tell you that much. Well, just the, but I mean, just the idea, I mean, remember the other day when we were on the discussion salon and, you know, the ideas that people were having, and it was all young leaders and doers in sustainability, including yourself. Some of the ideas just blew me away. I mean, the th- I, mean I feel like I was playing with Lego at your age. I'm sure you weren't. Well, you're kind. Oh, it's, it's, you know, as young people, we just, we see a lot. And because we're not the center of attention, so we always are there, take the information and they use, especially my generation, I think we're really, we don't feel there's any time to waste. So we just take that information and we move with it. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good observation. It, when you look around at, your, at people your age and, and around your age, anyways, do you feel like most people get the fact, uh, the, the bind that we're in with climate and, and biodiversity loss and injustice, obviously, as well? Um, so that's a, it's a big question. I do think we understand the gravity of the situation and the urgency, that the urgency of this crisis is real when the IPCC report came out in 2018, when I think it woke up a lot of people, especially young people, because we realized that this really was our our battle and, and we, we can't stand to the side anymore and let other people decide what our futures are going to be because they haven't been making the choices that will allow us, all of us, to live to the same quality of life that previous generations have enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I think that's a huge wake-up call. Yeah. Um, 
So on the subject of climate change, and I think also environmental injustice, youth are really picking up and joining the fight and leading the fight in many ways. I don't think youth, for the most part, have always understood how climate change and biodiversity loss, they play into each other so much. The less biodiverse our ecosystems are, the less resilient they are in changes to our climate and also disturbances from environmental degradation from human activities. And I don't think we quite understand that. You know, like the scientists say that we're losing something in the realm of 150 species lost every day. And of course, we don't really hear that in the news a lot. But anyway, I don't think we tie that to climate change as much as we ought to. Right. And right. I think that's a blind spot. Yeah. I mean, part of the problem, the part of the problem is, is that we're not losing the panda every day. We're losing, we're losing stuff that, that what we need, but you know, is not really seen like including viruses, including fungus, including all those little bacteria. I mean, we lose those on a daily basis and, and it's hard for the world wildlife fund to say, Hey, save the fungus or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always been a fight. It's heartbreaking. I've always really enjoyed the little things that somehow make our ecosystems interact in this balance that we mm-hmm. can't, we don't understand and we may never, but those little things are, is what make, make everything click. Yeah, exactly. I, no, the, the, wor- the word that you're using balance is, is the key word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And we don't understand that enough. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wrote, I recently wrote a little piece, um, uh, talking about exactly that theme and and that there's checks and balances in nature right and we need all the different species to keep us all in check otherwise the ship goes down for everybody not just the the fungus yeah absolutely and us i think we all often take humans out of the equation when we so fundamentally depend on these ecosystems that we are a part of yeah yeah yeah, I got my start uh, uh, duck watching. I, I started with birds, but I got bored. I got bur- I got bored with birds, but I love ducks. You know, I lived on the west coast of Vancouver yeah. Island and just just love the oh, ducks. Oh wow! Yeah, it's really cool, right? And I think anybody who and it sounds like you have too. Anybody that's been out early morning in nature and seen the sunrise. Uh, and, or, and the and the and so the fog coming off a cold lake and and just being there in that perfect tranquility and balance, we need more of that. But but I want to come back to my question because you sort of only half answered it. I mean, so at your university, say in in any given class, how many what percentage of the younger people sort of get this in the way that you might get it? I think for me personally, I am. I'm very, I'm very concerned about the gravity of the situation and the actions our leaders take on mm. their behalf. But, I, and I think it's some sort of a panic and an urgency that I feel. And I often don't feel there's as many people who feel that way. You know, a lot of people have protested, have taken to the streets, have signed petitions, and especially more so than maybe I felt in high school. Right. Um, in high school, I would um, distribute petitions and all that, and people wouldn't sign them. And always having a hard time of convincing people that, like, yes, this crisis is urgent, and yes, your signature means something. And I feel like I've always had more of an urgency right. to that question than a lot of people I sit with in classes. And I feel that there's a need to take action and be active as an activist more so than others. In class, I am in a, like an environmental uh, and resource studies program. A lot of them want to take action, but it's not with the same urgency that I feel. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's pure urgent right now. I mean, we've got nine years left, essentially. It's funny, my younger son, uh, Brennan, who you do know, yeah. he, he, was, he was saying he felt like 
people sort of, and he, and he was a bit sad about this and he was saying, it seems like people get committed for like a couple of weeks and then they, and then they just, you know, sort of fade into other, other things. And, and I kind of get that. It's like, I wish kids today could have a normal life and not have to worry mm-hmm. about this stuff. Honestly, that you have to feel urgency. I mean, I, I feel so grateful that you have that urgency, Emma, but I feel so badly that you have to feel it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one thing I do feel with my generation is it's very overwhelming because I think um, we've really hit this point where our, like our youth, we're just all of the injustice of our society, the way our society's um, been structured for so many years has left so many different instances of injustice. And that's really coming to the surface now, especially yeah. through, I think social media has been a huge um, method of getting these injustices to the forefront. So more people know about that and understand that. And it's, it's hard to kind of, it's almost exhausting, you know, yeah. kind of like keeping track. <laughs> and you're still of, in university. Of all, of all these injustices. Yeah, it, it is though. And no, sometimes I, yeah. it's like, there's, yeah, there's a period where you just, you're so frustrated and, yeah. but like you can't stop fighting. I, yeah. I, I you're, it's singularly impressive to hear this. And, and I want to come back in a minute and talk about um, leadership. But let's take a little break, and, and uh, thanks for the recommendation. We're going to listen to a little Ray Saragossa uh, in the river. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. It's got to be a crime Somewhere in your heart you'll find sisters and our brothers We are camping out for each other Well, that was a little bit of Ray Zaragoza in the river. Great song. Uh, We're talking with Emma Kirk. Uh, Emma Kirk is a student and environmental activist and a great one from Ottawa in Canada. She's been involved in conservation and environmental activism for quite some time. I mentioned at the top of the show, you recently participated in a discussion salon that we hosted at the Sustainable Century. And pretty soon we'll have some of the video up on that at the sustainablecentury.net. It's called Leading Transformation from Pandemic to uh, Regenerative. And in, in those discussions, we talked about leadership, about current leaders who seem to understand the dangers of climate change, biodiversity loss and inequality, but don't seem, like you say, don't seem to act with urgency. Uh, how do we change that? Make it so it's urgent. Make it so that there's no subsidies for fossil fuels or Justin Trudeau doesn't buy gas pipelines. I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, I think we need political courage. You know, we like every every single time I hear these politicians saying, here's how we're going to fix everything. But they seem to be using the same tools that they used when they were getting us into this crisis. <laughs> you know, we hit this crisis point and they keep, seem to keep coming up with the exact same things. And it didn't work before, so I don't get why it'll work this time. <laughs> and so I think we need to be courageous. You know, we need to say this isn't working. 
so how do we radically change the way we've been going about it? And how do we make sure that the right people are at the forefront of this action? Indigenous people across the world, they make up 5% of the world's population, yet they manage 25% of the land and 80% of the world's biodiversity. So why in this crisis of both climate change and biodiversity loss, are Indigenous people at the forefront of our solutions? I'm glad you brought up the Indigenous communities because I think instead of putting at the forefront of leading change and allowing them to, you know, imbue us with their, their, their unique and special uh, relationship with nature, we, we, we seem to be putting them at the front of being screwed. I mean, I know in Canada, uh, yeah. I know in Canada, uh, it's not been easy. And in Canada, they're trying a little bit. I would say they're getting a, a B minus C plus in trying to deal with uh, indigenous communities. But you look at what's happening in COVID uh, down in the United States and who is really getting hit hard is the is the yes the navajo reservation yeah i mean all the you know the oneida had a who are very organized in in the midwest there they've done a they've done a fantastic job of taking care of themselves right and other other native communities just don't have the tools and you know are who's helping them i think we owe them a lot and boy if i was the prime minister of canada they could pretty much get anything you want from me but let's not go down too far that down down that track let's head back to what you know the positive sides of i didn't know that they managed all that i knew they were responsible for a large part of the, the biosphere but that that is incredible the amount that they they actually manage and we don't put them at the forefront of our policies which yeah. baffles yeah. me and also and also like i just I feel like, you know, Indigenous people have been at the forefront of these struggles for so, so long, right? And just there is no solution without Indigenous people at the forefront. Yeah, no, there's not a lot of justice for them. Leonard Pelche has been in jail for 40 years mm-hmm. in the United States and, and for standing up for what he thought was right, for their rights. I, it's... It, this is why I guess, as you said, equality, this is all tangled up in equality as well. And I think that's the key here is like people with vested interests don't want to see a change in the status quo. Absolutely. That's why I think we need to center our solutions around climate justice mm-hmm. and looking at how do we manage, like, especially as we transition, how do we not marginalize the people who have been marginalized even further, right? Mm-hmm. How how do we make sure everyone's part of the solution and everyone, everyone benefits equitably? And we also make sure that those who have been in a place of injustice for so long are able um, to have the same standards of life. In Canada, we, we have so many communities that have boil water advisories because we haven't invested in this critical infrastructure to give them like the basic right to clean water like how are we a developed country yet we deny that right to so many people and it is a right well it's a recognized in canada it absolutely should be it's a it's a it's a sustainable development goal and i believe uh, even if it's not written anywhere it's a human right to have water Oh yeah, oh yeah. I don't, I don't deny that, but yeah. in Canada we don't recognize that right of our citizens. I think that says a lot. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, a couple more things. The Extinction Rebellion, who I assume you've heard of, uh, out of Britain and and all over the place. Great job, love them. Nonviolent activism for um, the environment, climate change, biodiversity. They say, yeah. and I don't know. I want to get your opinion. They say that it takes about 
4% of the population to believe and become active on an issue for us to see change at the policy level, at the government level, voting level, maybe in the commercial level. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I've heard that before, and I do think they're correct, but that percentage needs to be very vocal and strategic. I thought last year, the Extinction Rebellion protests in London just gave me so much optimism and just shutting down London. Oh my God. And like the drum circles, it was amazing. And oh my God, when they were plant, had planters on the bridges, beautiful. Oh, it was, it was so good. I would just wake up every morning and like check out what would have been happening. And it would be such a great start to my day. Just to interrupt for a sec there. You might not have seen it, but I did a podcast with Gail Bradbrook, who was the co-founder of Extinction Rebellion. So you might want yeah, to check I it out. Actually, I did listen to that. Oh, I listened to that in preparation for this. That was the one you were talking about, Ecoside, right? No, no, no. That that was uh, oh, Jojo Meta. Yeah, Jojo Meta oh. is also incredible. British Ecoside. And okay. By the way, I think if you want to be strategic, you know, getting crimes against uh, the environment is a fantastic strategic move, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And in, in um, the Netherlands, the ruling um, that has basically forced the government to act on climate change. Like one of the things I think we struggle with a lot is that environment has become such a left-right issue. Right. North America, everyone everyone on the right says it's kind of, let's take re- let's remove all these regulations that protect the environment for future generations. And everyone on the left is so let's protect it. And I hate that it's politicized that way, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't think it should be a political issue that we guarantee basic environmental rights to the future generations, um, yeah. but it is. And I yeah. think the great thing with the court, and I know that there are many um, cases across the world where young people are trying to have their, their right to a, like a healthy environment and a safe future recognized through the courts. But the great thing about those cases is that governments really can't argue that it's a political issue. You know, it takes the, the politicization out of the issue. Yeah, I think that's important. It's tough, though. I mean, uh, we got to see the end of Trump. We don't get rid of this guy. We are in big trouble. But we'll leave that political sentiment for another conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the other podcast. <laughs> check out the other podcast and anybody else that would like to check it out. It, it was from mm-hmm. February 2018, I think, just, befi- just before, or 2019. Yep, just before the rebellion took off, uh, February, uh, with Me. Gail Bradbrook, uh, and she's co-founder of the Extinction Rebellion. And she talked about all sorts of stuff. And this was before it got rolling. So it's very interesting. Um, she wasn't quite as optimistic because they did a fantastic job over the summer. I mean, I'm with you. I was waking up every morning too, looking at the news coming out of Britain and just wishing I'd have been there. Well, next time, maybe. Listen, one last question. And I'm going to yeah. tell you my answer before I hear yours because, well, I'm the host. So if you could wave a magic sustainability wand just twice, what would you wish for? Now, you know one of mine is the ecocide law. I, I would want that in a second, but I'd want it at every national level, not internationally. And the second one is nationalize Exxon. Those are my two wands. Oh, what would you yeah, do? Yeah. I want to just see a shift in mentality. I've been active for a while and trying to convince people, let's protect our environment for everyone. And <laughs> I always have to just go down to the argument, how does this work out for you? I wish I didn't have to convince people that this will work for you, particularly we're in this fight together and we're in this fight for everyone's basic environmental rights together. I, I wish I didn't have to say, 
this is exactly how much you're going to save <laughs> financially, right? right and right. A, a shift from individual to collective thinking. We're not in a competition for the planet's resources. We're trying to get a better life for everyone. Like we talk about what's the good life and often that involves profit off of our resources without kind of thinking about the environmental costs. I just wish we had this attitude of togetherness, that we're all in this together. Yeah. And that goes again with our ecosystems, that we're not separate from our ecosystems. Right. We're embedded within our ecosystems. We right. depend upon our ecosystems and our actions matter to the collective, not just us individually. Mm. Yeah, our economy externalizes like a cost of growth. And I'm so frustrated that. So I wish we had a collective attitude. Mm. You know, a lot of our actions can be changed. We can change our government, right. but our shift in mentality is what I think needed first right. to propel that action forward okay. and then my second wish is to change the planning of our cities and especially our suburbs urban sprawl that yeah. happened way before i was born still shape so much our cities today i'm very lucky to live in the center of ottawa and i can i commute pretty much everywhere by my bike and i yeah. love that i'm able to do that yeah. i love that our city has so many green spaces and I go other places and um, to my friends who live in the suburbs, they can't get anywhere with their bike. And that, I, I couldn't do that. And I don't think anyone should be priced out of the center of our city to these suburbs. So why did we construct the suburbs the way we did? Yeah. In terms of public transportation, they're so like, it's so difficult to create efficient public transportation for these areas. Right. So people rely on their cars. Right. And you know, what are people gonna do? So I wish we could go back and, <laughs> and you know, just increase the density of these areas. Well, those are two pretty enormous and fantastic wishes, Emma. I feel much more optimistic when I, I listen to people like you, Emma, that are gonna come up through the ranks and take over from the rest of us. The sooner, the better. You know, I just, I want everyone to act with the urgency that I have. So many of the solutions are already out there, but are held by people who, whose ideas aren't listened to. Well, we'll work on it together. Yeah, uh, it sounds good. That sounds great. Listen, we've been talking with the very thoughtful Emma Kirk. She's from Ottawa in Canada, a student at University and Environmental Act Activist. It's been fantastic talking with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Mark. So we've been talking with Emma Kirk, activist and, and great environmentalist out of Ottawa, Canada. You can find Emma on LinkedIn if you want. And remember to check out all the articles, podcasts, and videos at thesustainablecentury.net, including This Week in Sustainability, which deals with what's gone on in sustainability in the past week or so. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out the Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world. <laughs>